All right. Well, welcome to Oikos Church. Are you guys happy and excited to be here today? It is truly a joy just to be able to gather um, every single Sunday with you guys. So please join me in a quick word of prayer. Great Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us here, that we can gather together as families on mission. And Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word. May we be cut to the heart, and may we be called to repentance and step forward in belief. So Lord, may you change my life and change our lives here this morning. And so may these be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, welcome again. Welcome to those joining us online. Uh, For the last few weeks, we have been in a series called Margin. All right. Uh, And I always find it kind of interesting with the Margin video. It is so kind of happy and polka-y and all that kind of stuff, but it's really some hard stuff uh, that we are hearing. Uh, I don't know about for you, but for me, the past few weeks, um, you know, and Sarah talked about Kairos moments, the Lord has been wrecking me uh, for really this series um, with scheduling margin. I really realized that I'm not creating margin in my life to spend with you guys. And I'm not creating enough margin to be able to do seminary as well as full-time ministry with Oikos. And the list kind of goes on. So that first week was scheduling margin. And then last week we got to hear from Howard, our intern, about financial margin and God's provision when we trust in him. So today, perhaps it is a type of margin that you maybe haven't thought of. And so we're going to be talking about moral margin, moral margin this morning and talking specifically sexual immorality. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and uh, open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we'll be getting to that in just a minute. So I want you to think, don't raise your hands at this point. But I want you to think, how many of you know someone, anyone? Maybe it's yourself, your neighbor, your family, someone here in this room whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin. Maybe you have a friend who got pregnant outside of marriage, and in the depression and in the the panic that happens, resorts to having an abortion. The fear and the hurt are real. And perhaps maybe because they were in that situation that they ended up marrying someone whom they should never have married in the beginning. And it's a hard marriage. Not just men, but also for women. How many people do you know whose life has been wrecked and held captive by pornography? It's real. And it's so available, whether it's an app on your iPhone or it's just on the computer screen there and you end up and you're just Googling stuff maybe for a research paper or you're Googling something and all of a sudden these ads pop up. It is so readily available. And for the people who I know who have been held captive by pornography is it's much like an addiction and it just tends to take over. 
and it can slip in at any time. And it can start to ruin marriages. It starts to place upon your marriage an unrealistic sexual expectation. And then it just kind of, it's like putting gasoline in this car that's going to drive you to destruction. Perhaps you've known someone who has been in, in an extramarital affair. I don't think anybody starts and plans out their life goals, saying, this is what I want for my life. This is what I want for my children's life. But it happens. It holds us captive. And the pain and the regret that comes from these incidents can really wreck us and hold us captive. So how many of you raise your hands if you know someone whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin? Look around. It's almost everybody. And I've never, so I've never met anyone who has actually set out to make a goal and say, by the time I'm 35 years old, I plan to, um, to abandon my wife and to have an affair. Uh, which then leads to uh, this, this, and this, losing my kids in a divorce. I don't know anybody who actually sets that out or anybody who has premarital sex and says, by, by this time, by three months into the relationship, um, this is my goal, and you know what? I want an STD. Actually, I, I should probably say an STI. You guys notice how STD is no longer politically correct? Because it's bad to say that sex causes a disease. Disease, that's, that's bad. So actually, if you just start reading stuff on them, I mean, they call them STIs now. Anyhow, I think for all of us is that we just kind of think, but I never thought that that would happen to me. I never thought that this would happen to me. So if you think about the stories that may be in your minds right now, struggles that you've had, etc., there's probably one thing in common that permeates all of these stories, and that's no moral margin. No moral margin. So remember, We've been talking about margin, so most of us in here should kind of know what margin is. It's, it's creating space, okay? And so moral margin is going to be creating space between us and temptation. Moral margin is creating space in between us and temptation. So James, he says a lot about temptation, all right? So let's go ahead and... Uh, uh, we'll read James 1, 13 to 15. Feel free to follow along. James says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
from the stories that we've thought of, as I just kind of asked you to think about people. I think with the sexual sin that this one sin or generality of sins hits us so deep to our inner core that we'll read later um, about what the Apostle Paul says about it, that it is different. But this just allows to grow and gives birth to death. So I want to look at the Greek. The word entice, okay? In Greek, it's pronounced deliazo. Okay, can you guys say that? Deliazo? Deliazo. So here's what it means. It means to entrap. Kind of picture this. It means to entrap, to allure, to entice, or very literally, it means to hook. It's actually a fishing term used to catch fish with bait. So think about that. I know a lot of you guys in here are fishermen, okay? Um, And so if you just think that Satan is enticing us with sexual temptation, he's throwing out his line. It's baited with all the things that feel real good. And in that is a hook ready to catch you. So Satan wants to hook you by mouth and drag you away from God to lead you to death. So if you can kind of picture Satan fishing on a pier, he's got it all baited up with all the things that feel good, the pornography, the sex, and the list goes on. Those sexual desires, he's got it baited up, cast the line out, and he's ready. And you know who the people who he's going to catch? At least catch first is the people who have no moral margin. Because when you think of it, that if you have margin, that's saying that you know you can see that hook, or you know where the pier is. You know who's throwing the bait out. And so are you right here, right next to the pier, just because you know that you can get this close, right? And you're just waiting. Actually, you'd prefer if Satan just dropped, you know, he just like, you know, like my, my, uh, my eight-year-old daughter when we went fishing, you know, she's just not really good at casting, so she'll just click the button and just, it drops, you know? So is that us? Are we, you know, are we just there waiting right next to the pier for Satan to just give us the bait that we love? We know we might get hooked, but we're willing to take the risk. And maybe it's like, you know, those fish that, that just, that just nibble at your bait and they get it away, and all of a sudden you find yourself sitting there for maybe 15 minutes and you got no bait on, on the hook. Um, so are we those people? Or do we know that that's where Satan fishes? So you know what? I'm not even going to go over there. I don't even want to mess with it. Not at all, because I know what lies over there. So I'm going to go hang out with these fish over here. So that leads us to the question, honestly, how far is too far? So when we think about all the sexual temptation that we face, where do we draw the line? That's such a common question. I think especially as I've worked with students in the past when I was doing primarily youth ministry, is, um, but we, we can't pretend that it's just for the teenagers that are asking these questions, because I think a lot of times, you know, everybody of all ages are asking these questions. Where's, where do I draw the line? How close can I get? Can I get right up to the line and like 
well, really, what's sin and what's not sin? Is it sin if I do everything but? We know what that is. Come on. It's okay. I'll do everything but. We get right to that line. You know, it's okay if I share the same bed as my girlfriend. It's okay. Everything but. It's okay. This, it's fine. The line's right there. I haven't crossed the line. But Satan, there he is. Man, all I got to do here, I don't even have to hook him. I, he's just right here. I can just grab him, you know? Like those catfish, you know? Like when they stick their arm underneath the rock and the catfish just, you know, bites their hand and they pull him out. They get a monster. Where's the line? How far is too far? So Satan wants us hook, line, and sinker, believing that as long as we don't cross that line, we'll be okay. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Corinthian church, uh, as, as Pastor Aaron has talked about before, if we had to compare Houston um, to a major city uh, in, in biblical times here, um, Corinth might be a, a great city to compare it to. A lot of people, a lot of sin. So here we go. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing in this. He says in verse 12, You say... I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do everything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with them both. But you cannot say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. In fact, they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. You know, I think, I want to interject in that really quick. I think there's kind of a misnomer. That a lot of times people think that it's just the right of marriage that makes people one. I don't know if you've thought of this or, or think this. Um, but that, yeah, when we get married, then we'll become one. Well, that kind of presupposes that on your wedding night is going to be the first time that you'll be united with sex. So if you think about any time or any partner you have had that you've had sex with, you've come together as one. And if you try and separate things that have actually become one, there's a lot of hurt left over. Even if you stick duct tape to a box, I mean, and you rip off the duct tape, what is, it damages the box, doesn't it? And so if you can just think of how many partners you've had, every time that you become one and separate, come one and separate, there's a lot of damage that's done. And so here the Bible says that the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. 
No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I want to focus on the word run, okay? So I think I I love the fact that the Apostle Paul puts the word run there. The Greek word for this is fugo. Got another good Greek word for you guys. Let's say fugo. Fugo. One more time. Fugo. Beautiful. So it means to run away. It means to shun It means to escape. It means to distance oneself and to fit within our series. It means to put margin or quickly put some margin between you and something. I find it interesting that Paul uses the word run. Now, here's what I think most of us do, okay? We got the line here. And it's like, we know, we know we're this close. You know, we we see Satan up there with his fishing pole and all this kind of stuff. And if we're just hanging out there by the pier and all of a sudden we see the bait come down and we know what that bait is, that's Satan's bait. I'm just going to hang out because it's nice here. Maybe the water is just a little bit warmer. Maybe there's a nice current coming in or we get a little bit of shade from the pier. Paul doesn't say just to sit there. You know, he doesn't even say to just stroll away or to just hang out at a little bit of a distance. He actually says to run away. So when you find yourselves presented with sexual temptation, are you hanging out there? Or are you actually running away? Are you actually running away? It's worth running away from. I don't think we realize just how detrimental sexual sin can be. That a lot of people like to say that um, all sins are the same. No, they are not. All sins are not the same. All sins create equal space between us and God. All sins Um, separate us from him, and we need to be forgiven. But if I were to, um, let's just say I got Adrian here uh, in in the front row. Um, If I were to go up and punch him, all right, uh, (laughs) don't give me a reason. You haven't given me a reason yet. Um, But uh, so we got, what would that consequence be? Well, I might get hit back, all right? (laughs) But when we look at sexual sin, when we think of just where we've been, I need to think of where I've been. And sometimes it's hard to forget where you've been. Is man, those sins hang around and they get us at our core. For women, just being treated as objects, sucked into relationships where they're being used and abused and that they're, they're created to believe that their value is only as much as they put out. 
Their value is only as much as they have the perfect body. Or the guilt that comes from being sucked into pornography every time your wife goes out of town. Some serious guilt. And that guilt far trumps me and Adrian having, you know, a little uh, fist fight. That stuff, we'll get over that. But it's deep. Pregnancy happens. Now, babies are a bundle of joy. And I've seen babies provide redemption for women. That the little little bundle of joy, that they'd be able to be blessed, even in the worst of situations, whether it's rape, whether it's just outside of, of marriage, young or old, is that babies can be a wonderful way of the Lord working in someone's life. It's not necessarily what the Lord wants for us to be able to have those things happen, but there's real consequences, real significant consequences when we engage in sexual sin that Paul identifies us here that it's a sin against our own bodies. It affects us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. I'll read this again. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Our bodies, we're not meant for sexual immorality. Our society likes to think that we are in control of ourselves. We belong to no one but ourselves. That uh, we don't need accountability. We don't need people in our business. That's my body. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want with it. But for us who are following Jesus, whose identity rests in the cross and in the family of God, we have been called to live differently. And if we are not living differently, And the whole significance of being the body of Christ loses all significance. You can say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food, but you cannot say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Do we care about our bodies? In Romans 6.1, it's a verse that uh, spoke to me in significant ways over the years. That the Apostle Paul says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The more you sin, the more grace you get. We want more grace, so let's sin more. Okay, that was, that was kind of what, uh, what the Christians in Rome were thinking. But he says, By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he follows that up with saying that in your baptism, you were buried with Christ. So guess what? That means that as we remember our baptism, that in that moment where the water and the word met our foreheads or we were immersed or dunked or whatever, is that we were dying with Christ. Therefore, every single day we remember our baptism, every single day we put our sinful selves to death so that who can, who can live? In Galatians 2.20, Paul then talks to the Christians in Galatia 
that he says, for you are crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ in you. So the question is, is can we be the, our bodies be a temple of the Holy Spirit to, to honor God with our bodies and, and do the things that he wills us if we are living in sexual immorality? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. And so that when people see you, they should see Jesus. And is Jesus going to be hanging out, if he were you and me, at the dock, waiting there for the bait? Or is he going to have some moral margin? Moral margin, creating space between us and sexual temptation. Ephesians 5, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Who are God's holy people? You are God's holy people. I am God's holy people. So let me, let me read that again. Uh, but verse 3, But among you there must not even be a large bucket full of sexual immorality. Is that what it says? No. Um, it doesn't say there must not even be uh, a, yeah, a little bit uh, or one thing. It says there must not even be a hint. Ouch. Kind of seems impossible. Kind of seems impossible, doesn't it? So think this morning, where is there even a hint of sexual immorality in your life? Chances are we all have a hint. But that's not, God doesn't tell us to settle. So there's not be a hint of sexual morality. Pornea. Pornea. It's the uh, original word that we get the word porn from. And I thought that this definition was uh, actually really enlightening. So get ready for it, okay? Because some of you are thinking, well, I don't watch porn. I don't have anything to do with porn. And for some, that, that word might even just cause us to cringe a little bit. Brothers, it might not. Here's what it means. Anything causing arousal outside of marriage. I think a lot more of us are addicted to porn than I think we would uh, care to admit. Anything causing arousal outside of marriage. So maybe it's your eyes. Maybe it's more than your eyes. Certain relationships, certain things you do. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. So in our culture, obviously, there's more than a hint of sexual immorality. It's normal. It's normal. 
I don't even know if there is a line. Is there, is there a line that can be crossed in just the average society of, of the United States? I mean, I think probably most people would say that it's good if you're married, it, you've got to be faithful, okay? I would say that that's, that's a line. I don't know if there's anybody who says that you should uh, have an affair. However, well, he's changed. He's changed. I don't love him anymore. So now, because he loves me, or he doesn't love me anymore, now I can, because really, because he doesn't love me anymore, that means we're not married anymore, and so I can go ahead and continue with a new relationship. Or, because I think I don't, you know, there's not really much of a line. We see things like Fifty Shades of Grey, and I'm going to bring it up. And I think this is a pretty divisive topic. It's kind of fizzled out now a little bit. Um, but uh, what I've heard from a lot of people, particularly women, is that um, there's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with a little bit of uh, spiciness in our life? And it's just a movie, etc. But you know what? It's just... It, is it, Jesus says, don't have more than a hint. And then we also see cosmopolitan magazines, kind of just like right there, you know, that, that, uh, that last minute stop as you're checking out of the store, just boom, right there with, you know, how to have the best sex, you know, here's some tips for some good sex, you know, right there at like eye level with my one-year-old, you know, and it's there. But we are called to be different. You know what? I want to be different because what's normal, pain, regret, remorse, disease, shame, and guilt. I had that. Some of you who've known me for a long time know where I've been. And I'll tell you that shame and guilt and regret, man, they're at the, it's at the core. I don't want to live that way. And so I think if we actually want to respond to the words of God, that if we actually want to live differently, that we actually have to create that moral margin. Because unless we create that moral margin, the pain, the guilt, the regret of entering into sexual temptation is going to cause us to have those things there. The pain, the betrayal, the shame, the guilt, and the regret. Regret. So you know what? Let's live weird. Can we be weird? You guys want to be weird? Or do you want to be normal? Thanks, Howard. So I think if, if we actually want to live this way, we have to maybe do some extreme things. Um, because extreme results need extreme measures. And so some of these things, I'm going to give you eight things today, all right, that we can do to actually, to help us so that we can take and create that moral margin in our lives. Because normal isn't working. I don't want you to be normal. I don't want you to live a life of pain, betrayal, shame, guilt, and regret. And you know what's been really exciting to see? Is to be able to walk alongside a number of you and see you respond to this. That you are identified where you had a hint of sexual immorality and you responded and turned and I, and I sure hope that what's encompassing your life is that you found a joy that has been offered to you. So here we go. Steps to creating moral margin. Number one, dress for spiritual success. 
women. The more you show, well, the question I think that comes with that is do you love me? Do you love the men in here? I'm not going to say, there have been some articles, there have been some articles where, uh, I forget who it was, but actually tried to justify rape um, because a woman dressed provocatively. I'm not saying that, so please don't hear me say that. Um, But if you are dressing for that type of attention, I guarantee you're going to get it. And I would just ask that you care for the men around you um, and even the little ones to emulate um, enough to where you're willing to dress modestly. Dress for spiritual success. Because us together as a family on mission, we don't want to cause uh, ourselves to stumble. And I promise that I won't have any low-cut um, shirts. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my part. <laughs> number two. This, this is a good one because we've said this a number of years ago. Um, keep four feet on the floor. Four on the floor. All right? Now, this, does it sound extreme? Absolutely. So when you think, when you're hanging out with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and you guys are watching, you know, Walking Dead at night or something like that, um, and you're on the couch together, and it's just you guys, keep four feet on the floor. Because, come on, what, what starts happening when the legs go up and, you know, that the, the new, freshly shaved legs start buttoning up against the hairy leg, you know, and, and it's just... You just start getting closer and closer and closer, and, and uh, hey, it's extreme. Keep four feet on the floor. Keep four feet on the floor. Next one. No sleepovers or playing house. No sleepovers or playing house. I think this one uh, is pretty, pretty common. And uh, if you're not doing that right now, you know someone who is. Um, and I think if we are honoring God with how we live, and that this whole discipleship and mission, if, that, if we are to be temples of the Holy Spirit, and that we are on a mission of being used by God to redeem humanity and to make disciples, is that we are asking people to imitate me, that my job as a discipler is to replicate myself and other people. And so if you are living together before you are married, you are replicating that. You are replicating everything you do. And so if you're inviting people into your lives to experience Jesus, let's not play house. Let's not sleep over. Let's not share the same bed. Uh, Because surely... Even in a California king-size bed, there ain't enough moral margin in that space to keep things from happening. (laughs) So the next one, um, this is extreme. This and this isn't in you know this isn't doesn't say in you know First John chapter three, um, but I think it's helpful. Is no making out. What? What? It's like the first thing you do, isn't it? But I can tell you that uh, I didn't tell my wife that I was even going to bring her in. <laughs> now, I, I am, uh, we, her and I, we, we did wait until we were married, um, and praise God, um, that uh, 
<laughs> and my wife, she hated when Aaron said this when we got married. Uh, so anyhow, honey, I, I love you. I'll cook you lunch. Um, <laughs> but I tell you, the place is that when we came close, where did it start? Man, that, that heavy kissing, it gets you. And all of a sudden, you know, you're just hot and you just, you're, you're close. All of a sudden, you know, you, four feet are in the air instead of on the floor. <laughs> and it's just, because honestly, we know that when you have that heavy kissing going on, all of a sudden, it's just like your hormones, they go, they get you. Um, so if you're not strong enough, honestly, to to draw the boundaries there, um, then it's best not to do it. Because I think that sometimes the hormones that kind of occur from that is that we can't even see the line anymore. Um, probably because our eyes are shut. You know what I'm saying? But like, <laughs> Unless you guys are one of those weirdos that keep your eyes open. <laughs> so, but I had to fight Ashley off, and I knew that, you know, we just... <laughs> We just had to, no making out. We draw the line. <laughs> so the next one, avoid dangerous places and people. Yeah, I know, right? So I'm not saying to, yeah, so Ashley, I'm sorry. I, we should have just Skyped our relationship, I guess. But so <laughs> avoid dangerous places and people. You become who you hang out with. Um, and if you are someone who's trying to follow Jesus, who recognizes that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're just hanging out with people who are, where this culture is the norm, that you're, you know, your buddies over a beer are trying to say, hey man, you know, how far did you get with her last night? Were you able to sleep over? Oh, you didn't sleep over? Why didn't you sleep over, man? Ah, well, you know, then all of a sudden you're outcast, all this kind of stuff. You know, obviously Jesus wants us to step into dark places, but if your closest friends don't have moral margin, guess what? I think your moral margin might start to decrease as well. So avoid dangerous places and people. Um, and obviously places too. I mean, if you really suffer from just, uh, you know, looking lustfully, I mean, maybe don't go to the gym. Uh, get your P90X and do it home. Uh, but just don't put yourself, create margin. Don't go somewhere where you know that you're going to be tempted. The next one, uh, monitor internet activity. Pornography is rampant. It destroys people. It had a grasp on me for probably over a decade. And I'll tell you what, another thing about talking about margin is that because sexual sin captured my life and held me captive for so many years, guess what also decreased was my, the margin in my prayer life. You know what my prayers were? It was very little for you guys. Maybe a little bit. But you know what it was? My whole prayer life was God forgive me. I've, I need to confess. I feel the shame and the guilt. Take this away. And then I kept doing it. So all my prayer life, the margin was not praying for you guys that you would experience Jesus, that Adrian would, at his work, would be, that he would be able to find a person of peace today and share his testimony. Or it was not praying for any of you to encounter Jesus yourself. Or it was definitely, God, I pray that you would um, and, you know, bring people into my home so they can see how I'm living life. I don't know if you guys feel like that. You don't have to raise your hand. 
But do you guys feel that like your whole prayer life is just saying sorry? That's really exhausting. Anyhow, monitor your internet activity. And I'll tell you that um, it's been over two years since that has kind of uh, uh, had a place in my life. Um, and, and recently, as I was preparing for this message, I, I, I'm paying $13 a month right now for a thing called Covenant Eyes. That right now I have it set up that on my computer and on my iPhone and all this kind of stuff is that if any website, if I try and go to any website of that nature, guess who gets an email? My wife and my boss, Pastor Aaron, gets an immediate email. Talk about accountability. Now, I'm not struggling with that, but if I ever slip, that's there and I can't hide it. So covenant eyes, if you need it, it's worth the 13 bucks. Avoid time alone with the wrong people. We already kind of touched upon that. Don't hang out with people who don't have moral margin. It's going to be hard to have your own margin. And then finally, just guard your eyes, your mind, and your heart with everything you have. Is it worth it? Is it extreme? Absolutely. But is it worth it? We test that line. We hang out at that pier where Satan, just like, Satan, please give me the bait today. And then you know you're going to be sick afterwards. You know, we don't, do we really want that? Create space. Live a life worth imitating. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, once again, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. I want my wife to not even have a hint of wondering what I'm doing. I don't want to cause even a hint of a lack of trust in her eyes. I want to live my life above reproach. And if I create that moral margin in my life, then Ashley has not even an opportunity to question what I'm doing. If I'm hanging out, she knows that I'm not going to hang out with the wrong people. And if I am, then she knows it's because I'm going in for a purpose. And that's to build solid relationships with people who need Jesus. My kids, I want them to see a man who is after God's own heart. And that that moral margin provides the space. Because I think, obviously, too, that we can hide sexual sin from our kids. But the moral margin, I think that speaks volumes. Because they will see how you make your decisions. So God bought you with a high price. It's not just in vain that we live a life of, with moral margin. Is that God bought us at a price. He redeemed us. He said, you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? And so we know that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for you. To free you from sin. I used to think that freedom was, able, was being able to do whatever you wanted to do when you wanted to do it. And it took me nearly a decade to figure it out. That true freedom is found in obedience to God because we are free from the consequences of earthly sin. The consequences of sexual sin are great. And there's shame and guilt in them. Do you want to be free 
from the shame and guilt that comes with that type of life, create that moral margin and recognize that Jesus died for you so that you don't have to live like that any longer. So as we wrap up, this was a verse, series of verses that really spoke to me um, when I was kind of caught in this rhythm of sexual immorality. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, King David says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So may you know today that whether there is a hint of sexual immorality in your life or whether you are completely consumed by sexual immorality, may you know that the Lord is calling you to confess and to repent, and you will be forgiven. That all the shame and the guilt will be removed. And in the first two lines here, oh, what joy. Yes, what joy. My guilt is gone. So may we be a people who recognizes that we were bought at a price. The Lord cares about our bodies and how we use them. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies will be resurrected on the last day. May we use our bodies to glorify God. And if you're struggling, may you know to open up. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Let somebody know and get help. The beautiful thing with us as a family is that we're here for you. You're not in this alone. And if anything, let my story be a testimony that the Lord works marvelous things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people here today that need freedom. Freedom from sexual immorality. Lord, we need to be transformed. And so may you hear our prayer, may you hear our plea, and Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, there are those in here who have been victims of sexual immorality. May you assure them of your love and strengthen them. Continue to work in them. And may you heal their hearts. Lord, for those of us who have caused damage by giving in this sexual temptation, may you redeem that. May you forgive us. May you redeem us. Help us to step forward in belief that you will continue to change who we are, change how we think, And may we have the humility to open up with somebody else about this, to seek help, to get accountability. Lord, we thank you for dying for us so that we may live. May we live in the freedom and the love that comes through knowing you, Jesus, as our Savior. Thank you for dying for us while we were still sinners, while we were still captive by sexual immorality. 
So Lord, free us, forgive us, renew us, and may we be a changed people reflecting Jesus wherever we go. It's in his name we pray. Amen.